Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plugged In. I'm Ellie Mandelbaum, an industry veteran who decided to do more than just listen to podcasts, but actually start one, in which I interview people much smarter than me. In this episode, we're speaking with Ziv Elul, who co-founded Interactive in 2007, where he served as CEO and building the tech company to a point where it was acquired in 2016 for $86 million by RNTS, now known as Fiber. Ziv was appointed as the next CEO of Fiber uh, in, I think, 2016 as well, or 2017. He has been leading successful integration of Fiber, HazeApp, and Interactive into one consolidated entity under the Fiber brand, with the goal of bringing the best components of each group into one cutting-edge and unified technology platform. Ziv, welcome to the show, and I hope I covered everything. If not, why don't you fill in the blanks on your background? <laughs> thanks, Ellie. I think you've covered everything, so thanks for the, this opening. And not, I'm not that smarter than you, but thanks for, uh, for saying that. Well, that's, you know, it's, you know, something that I always find is, you know, everybody has their own niches. And, you know, for me, I enjoy talking, I enjoy networking. I definitely see people and building companies and taking charge. It's definitely something that, you know, is is something I always look up to, and, and especially the company that you have now. So let's jump right into it. And I want to get more into the question of, you know, how do you get started in your career? Like, you know, first, you know, that's one. And then ad tech, that would be the second part. So about the career, it started uh, basically in the army. So I've been in the army until the age of 30. So my start on the business side started really late, uh, I would say. Um, the idea came from um, the executive MBA. Uh, we've done uh, me and Offer, Offer Yuda is the other co-founder of Interactive, a project about uh, in-game advertising back then. And we saw that there is great idea, not only on the theoretical side, but also that we can take it into action in real life. Uh, thanks to this decision, um, I've decided, um, I decided to uh, leave the army. Offer decided to leave the Technion. Um, which is the MIT of Israel, as you as you know, <laughs> and um, we started to um, open new company. Um, he sold his Punto, Fiat Punto. It's a car. Um, I took uh, the money that uh, I had from the army, and we started to develop the company. That where it started. Um, so I think that the the main mission was at the beginning to raise capital, and for us to raise 1.1 million dollars um, was quite a lot. This was the seed money for the company and uh, without any experience from the past any experience in working in other firms that are business firms uh, we succeed to uh, to raise capital uh, to start the company that obviously like any other company had pivot along the way so it was the same also for us but we you know i'm telling it to each one of the new startups where you start now doesn't mean that that's where you'll end <clears throat> keep into uh, consideration that it might change um, and it's fine and it's even better that you will change what you are now doing because you'll have a lot of learning on the way that you need to um, elevate it into real uh, business. I, I, I get that. And so, you know, so that was your first job pretty right. much out of the army. Right. And so, you know, so you're doing an EMBA at, at Hebrew U and, and, and you knew Ofer from around. Did you... 
Yeah, offering me it's not in the army, you know, like any other story in Israel that start somehow in the army or connected somehow to the army. Um, so the same for offering me. Um, it started basically around um, uh, friendship between me and him. We've been at the same unit in the army, and uh, offer helped me in making a film um, a year uh, after the best friend of mine, Morel Raz, uh, Moriu Dal Raz, um, that. Um, was uh, my best friend as a kid, and uh, Ofer uh, was uh, known by producing uh, movies. Um, and uh, for the year, we worked together very closely. And um, from knowing each other and from uh, running uh, um, when we have free time, uh, we learned about uh, the new business, the opportunities, and that's where we decided to take this idea into real uh, uh, life by doing a theoretical uh, project. So it's really started even before from just talking together and knowing each other. So, uh, which is, I mean... That- you need uh, to write to yourself um, the business case. And, uh, you know, it's very obvious, but you need to think together, you know, what is the idea? What is the vision? What you can build? Um, what is the market size for this idea? Uh, how it's going to be unique uh, in the market? Uh, what will be the business model, who are the competition, how you are going to lead, what are the needs in order to run the company. So there is a list of things that you need to uh, to look at, you know, like a real project. Once you have all of this in place, then you go to validate it in the market. That's what we had. We had the project. But while we had the project, we went to meet some of the companies back then, Cellcom, Orange, mm-hmm. Telephone, they were the ones in Israel that manage also the content. So we went to meet them and we tried to understand from them about the idea. And once we got this validation and they said, you know, we, are not, we don't mind to test it. So that's the point when, when you understand that you developed something that is unique, is different, and someone wants even to check, you know, always it's the, the issue is not to raise the first money, but also to find the right customer that will start with you, that will give you the chance. And here we found that there is one that wants to give us this chance. And that's what gave us the appetite to learn more how we're going to develop it to a real uh, business case. Got it. And so, you know, when you did that, what was the... You know, how did it start, right? You developed technology, you got, you put your line of code in, they deployed it, and what, what were the results? Very right, good question. You know, there is always a debate if you develop it by your own or you take it by outsource at the beginning. And we understood that we have no time. Cellcom uh, wanted the, um, the, the, you know, this case to be ready immediately. So we understood that to recruit someone to start to develop will take us longer than the time that they want to start. And then you, you understand, so what is more important? To develop quickly uh, or to, to, um, to, that it will take more time, but you'll do it right. So what is to do it right? What does it mean? <laughs> so to do right in this case was, okay, let's develop it by outsource. We took a company that uh, worked uh, and helped us in developing um, the first product. And um, it gave us the opportunity to be quickly in the market and to develop it quick enough for a Cellcom to start with us. Otherwise, we could lose the train. But again, if we had more time, obviously, you know, I would love to develop it by our own. But that was this specific case. And if you ask me if I need to go back now in time, of course, uh, we could do it differently. But uh, I think it was the right thing to do back then to develop it by outsource companies. So once we developed it, we went um, 
to, um, to help not only with the tech side, they wanted us to bring some advertisers. So the first thing that we've done, we tried to get some help from um, uh, agency side in Israel. And we found um, Gitam BBDO um, as one of the best candidates for us to do it because they were the advertisers of Cellcom back then. So they, were, they had good relations. Mm-hmm. And uh, Modi Kidon, uh, which was the owner of uh, this uh, agency, um, joined forces with us. Um, and we gave him um, options in the company uh, with option also to invest in the company um, as well. And he became to be one of the largest uh, investors in the company until the end of the exit. And, um, and then it started from just asking him for some help with advertisers. So you knock on many doors. Um, you try to find people that will support you and help you. And it can be that people will help you without anything. The ones that will help you for options for advisory board world. And there are ones that says, you know, I'm going to be your investors. And obviously, when I'm an investor, I'm already invested in the company. So you don't need to give me anything. It's, it's, my, uh, it's my responsibility to help and to support you because I'm invested. So there are different models um, to be involved in the company. Interesting. So we're going to take a step back a second. And you know, one of the things I like to ask is, you know, what was the first job? I mean, in, or better, in the army since you were there for a while, right? What was it? Eight years, ten years? The time in the army was until uh, the age of thirty, so it was twelve. Twelve years. 12 years. Okay, so, the army. so yeah. And I had also the option in in my career to to keep the development in the army, so I could stay. And obviously, until the age of forty two, so I could be now retired, basically <laughs> now forty three and a half. <laughs> Uh, but still, see, I'm working, so I'm not sure what was the right thing to do. So, I'm joking. You know, yeah. so, so, you know, what did you learn from it that stayed with you, right? Something that, you know, was, again, it, you, you know, in general, people get the first job and, you know, something has to, there's always something you get from it. Mm-hmm. So from your army time, right, what was it that you felt, and especially now since you're CEO, and did it, did it, you know, prepare you for being very a CEO? Simple, very simple. Very simple. Okay. People are people. That's my methodology. <clears throat> so the army, you know, if you manage 110 people in the army, what it gives you, it gives you the opportunity to understand better how uh, the mind of people is working. So people are the same all over the place, all over the globe. Um, and once you succeed by understanding people and working with people, it's a tool for life. So if I'm taking something from the army, it's that, that, that I'm learning to work with people. And I can tell that until today, it's something that I still believe in. And um, it's part of uh, my personal DNA, mm-hmm. that you have to trust people. You need to work good with people. And, you know, look now on, on, on fiber, you know, the DNA of fiber. Look on the, in the management, even. The same management that was with me in, in Interactive is still in the company. Like, we are now two and a half years after the acquisition. Mm. Tell me if you have comparison in the market for company that had acquisition and all the management, 100% is still with you. No, correct. You won't find that. No, correct. Most of people are like, okay, I have a year, 18 months, you know, 24 months. And they want to do this. They want to. I can understand where they come from. So I think at the end, it's all about people. So if the lesson that I took from the army is people, and obviously the management style that you understand about yourself, what is your management style? Mm-hmm. It's something that obviously the army, because of the scale, 
Um, it brings you to a place of um, understanding better what is your personal style in management. And you can learn from the mistake that you had uh, as, as a manager in the army. So it's to be a commander, it's also to be a manager. So if you take this set of tools, you can obviously leverage it once you start again. And yes, there, there were things that they changed when I understood that it's not in an army yeah. anymore. <laughs> and you can't just give, uh, okay, this is the way, that's what you need to do, yeah. just go. It's not the same when it comes to the real life. Obviously, high-tech um, offered the other co-founder. He was always balancing me with um, with that and, and, and to give me the understanding that now it's it's different. And, and yes, the first deal, you understand, and then you... Uh, um, adjust your uh, the way that you work to a different model, which is fine. That's the beauty in, in life, that you learn, yeah. and you change, and you don't stick only to one thing. Were you, were you um, I would say, were you in the army for so long? Did you think at some point, I'm like, okay, I got to get my, like, did you think you were going to be a career army guy? Did you think you wanted to like, okay, I see all my, all, all the guys that left with me in the army, they're now starting companies, they're in companies. Like, did you, or did you just say, okay, my time will come and that's that? Or did you even, did you even, or did like the interactive fall into your lap in a sense, right? Like, you know, you had your MBA, you were doing, did it just like all of a sudden, okay, well, well, I'm just like toying around with the idea and you know, like, I'm just trying to get a better oh. sense of that. I think at the end, it's, it's, you know, put aside it. I looked outside and saw other companies that are successful or other people that had startup. Uh, and um, it helped in understanding the opportunity. But I think it's more about the personality. So if you are ambitious in, in, in your personality and you want to succeed and to lead and to grow, um, one of the best tips that I got from a good friend in the executive MBA was, Ziv, look on the commander of the commander of the commander in the army. Ask yourself, one day, do you want to be in this position? Look at him, look on his role of responsibility and ask yourself, do you want to be there? That's a very simple question. And that will help you to understand if this is the place for you to continue and to be ambitious to this direction or you want to move on to do something different. And that was where I decided, it was two years before the decision that I want to look at this and I want to consider this opportunity and option. That was the place of making this decision. And it's thanks to this tip. It was a guy, CEO in the executive MBA that I consulted with. And it's the best tip that I could get ever. And I'm giving the same tip to others. Look, see if you want to be happy in this position and decide by that from the most senior role that you have in this organization. Good. Agreed. So, um, you know, you were saying, you know, pretty much, so Cellcom, you pretty much did a test with them, you know, first client. You found, you found advertisers through BBDO Israel. In fact, the CEO came on board as an, you know, as an investor. And also a board member. And, and a board member, which is, in and of itself, it's pretty interesting. And, and you, you pitched him on this, okay, Cellcom wanted to work with you. You know, we need advertisers. Let's make a match. So right. it, pretty much it was just a pitch. Yes. But at pitch, I think that it's not the pitch. I think it's the who are the people that bring you to meet him. I think that's all it's all about. You know, at the end, the network effect is the one that really matters. So I think that one of the things that I learned in life that people are helping people and they, they have, you know, they have the, the reason. They, they want to help and they want to support and they want you to succeed because in life, you know, it's like a circle. You, don't, you never know when you need this person. 
So in Israel, it's one of the things that uh, maybe making this startup nation so successful is because people are helping others without the ask of getting something. And, you know, real love means that you give without asking mm-hmm. for something. And that's what you find a lot. And that's what I found with Offer. We found many people that wanted to help us, wanted to support us, wanted us to meet others. And they introduced us to people that we, you know, I can't imagine back then why they wanted to help, why they wanted to support. And um, I'm still in contact with most of them, which is amazing, you know, to know that, that people really asking to help others. Yeah. And so, you know, you raise your first round. I mean, how hard was it to raise it? I mean, did it did it still come? The test went well, and did they? Yeah, up? obviously, obviously, uh, what you are asking, Eli, is the source of uh, <laughs> of most of the reasons when companies succeed or fail in in raising capital. So, you know, you need the right timing. You need um, also the belief of the other side in in this in you, in the company, in the field. Um, so you need this all to work together at the same time. Um, I think we're lucky because we found people that had the trust in us and they wanted to, um, to invest in the company uh, because of mainly the reason of, I think, um, our light in the eye that we were so, um, you know, I'm looking back and I'm looking at myself today and offered that we are so excited uh, because they see that you want to work from the soul, you want to succeed. Um, and I think that's what they found. They found people that want to succeed, uh, people that are looking to win in the market, and um, together with uh, the beta or some validation from the market that obviously helps. So yes, the, the reason that we had the beta and they could see along the way that this beta is successful gave them the confidence to invest into the company. So yes, obviously, the price seed and seed it's always the hardest uh, money that you need to, to raise because the risk is the highest. Mm. And if you can give the um, investors and also to yourself some validation, so it, it's helping in the fine fundraising. And that's what we had here. And did the, did the investors play a, a key role? Did they guide you? Did they did you use them as a sounding board? Or you just use them for money and just put them to the side? Obviously, yes. So we got, I just gave the example of mm-hmm. Monique Don that uh, invested. And uh, at the same time, we had Udi Hillman and um, that he was, you know, he was one of the um, largest uh, investors in other uh, private companies. So he can give a, could give us the uh, financials advice, advice, advisors uh, all the way, uh, advices all the way. And at the same time, we had people like Kudet Federbush that invested in Incredimail. So people that are coming from internet, finance, um, or advertising field, that each one of them gave us his uh, own ideas. No, and not it's not all of them, but you need part of the investors to be more involved, to help you, to make the introductions. Even if it's not them in person that can contribute, they can introduce you to other people that can help. So at the end, it's both. They Some of them helped us um, with their own feedback and some introduce us to people that can help us. So obviously, yes, it's not only money. And that's also my recommendation. If you have no other choice, take money from friends and family that can support you and can give you um, uh, feedback and ideas. So if you don't have any other money, yes, take, take just money. Yeah. 
that's the tip. Okay. And so what were some of the early challenges you faced, you know, when you were starting out? I think the main challenge um, for us was uh, to convince the market for the change. Um, I think that when you have a new uh, technology or a new setup or a new uh, platform, um, if it's unique, then it means that you need to do some uh, market education. So the main thing that we faced was really market education. We wanted to convince the big aggregators like the um, uh, Silicon of the world why it's good for them to have free downloads for ads. Just imagine that back then, this model was not exist. It was even before the days of iPhone and Android. So for people, free content, what are you talking about? So for them, it was like, you know, the, the gold eggs were from only downloads for money. Mm-hmm. And to have packages that you can buy three for five, whatever it is, but... It was not for free. Just, just imagine that we needed to convince them to change. We are not Apple. We are not Google. And to convince now the market to do this kind of change was not that easy. But that was the main challenge for us to start working with these guys and to try to convince them. Yeah, this was this is back in 2007. This is before, you know, iTunes and you know the the Google Play Store was right. really around. This is when I would say the um, just to give perspective to some of the listeners, it's really when the uh, all the the I would say major you know AT and T, Cellcom, wherever they were, they were right. the real they were the, they were the wall garden, right? Exactly. So they without them you couldn't do anything. That's you know, one of the great things that happened once the iPhone came out is everything was decentralized. <laughs> You go around them, it didn't make a difference. So what happened with that, right? So once you realized iPhone came out and they built, how did you grow? Or how did you, you know, adapt to, to that you know, market change? So one of the things, even before Google and, and, and iPhone, that we understood even a minute before, that our model is not scalable. <clears throat> one of the reasons uh, for not being scaled, and yes, this is one of the most important things in companies, if you want a company to be a successful one, you need to build it towards scale. And we understood that this company can work in scale model uh, due to the fact that we needed the approval of each one of the agencies and the advertisers for each one of um, the ads that you want to, um, to have inside games. So it was not a scalable model. Maybe it was a good model, but you can have at the same time a falafel shop, which is also good business model, right? But mm-hmm. you wanted to work on scale model, you want to have technology. And for that reason, we decided to pivot the company. And we went after the shareholders and we convinced them to get $100,000K, which were the most expensive $100K I got ever in life. Um, but it was the right thing for the company in order to develop the exchange piece of the company. Exchange means that we left the in-game model. We decided to that we have now only scalable models. So in one end, we were connected to one side of the business, which were the publishers. On the other side of the publishers, we had the DSPs, uh, which were the demand side platforms. Uh, that is the evaluation of the agencies uh, because these guys are working in scale. And we connected for the first company on the DSP side, it was a Mobi. And we saw that the company is starting to scale. So each time that we added more supply and more DSPs that are connected, the, the company grew. And after six months that we saw that it's growing in that way, we convinced the venture capital to join in. It was Evergreen, 
that join in with the Digan and, and the company started to work in scale model. And, and I think that was the real change for the company. So yes, you need to pivot on the way. And in this case, together with the changes that we had in the market with Apple and Google development, for us, it really worked well. How nervous are you? I mean, it got to be like, you know, you, you built something and then all of a sudden you realize, was this entrepreneurs, like you were saying before, there is a point in time we're going to realize, okay, we got we to gotta change something up. Something's not like, scalable. That's a big issue. Yeah. So what was going through your mind? You and Ofer had to like, <clears throat> like crap, with this, we have a bunch of investors. They like us. We're doing well. Yeah. But we know internally, we know it just, it can't get to where we need to be. Right. So how did you come up also with the exchange piece? So it's a good question. And, um, you know, even a minute before I share with you that I'm now writing a book with two uh to France, and one of the chapters in the book is about um, about the baby, the baby that you developed. The, and uh, what you do with this, you know, now that it's growing a bit, and and you know, it needs to go to school, to university. <laughs> so every and, every uh, founder has the same issue. <laughs> the same, totally. And there are two options, you know. There are people that. They stick to the idea because it's their baby and they don't want to change anything and they want to keep things as is. And many people are giving them tips, but uh, they say, no, 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 it's not. You don't know. You're not in the market. You don't involved. So I think that you need to listen. And you ask me about the change. You need to listen. You need to listen to others. And um, you need to listen a lot. When I'm saying others, it can be the investors. Others can be the market, your partnerships. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing, you need to listen to yourself. And you need, after hearing from everyone, and to be open to hear all the others, you need to listen to yourself. And this is something that once you learn to appreciate the fact that you are now inside a business, you are now leading something, that's the right timing for you to decide where to go and how to move forward. And that's what we had. We heard everyone. We understood that something here is different. We sat together for half day in one of the coffee shops in, uh, in Ramat HaKhayal. And we said, okay, from here, where we go? We took the two, three years before and we said, okay, right. It was a time that we invested a lot in one thing. But let's, let's take all the lessons that we had and let's now take these ideas and let's elevate this into the real life that now we are going to face. And not what's going to happen now in the market, where in two, three years from today, the market is going to be. And that's the point when you decide what is the new direction. And it's a risk management that you need to take. But it's all about startups, right? You need to take risks. It starts yes. with the idea of taking risks. And, um, and I think that was the point where we decided that we want to move on, to do a change, to take the risk to do this change, to convince the investor that this is the right thing to do. But Eddie, you never know. Let's put it as is. <laughs> it can be at the same time an idea that could work well, you know? Correct. Well, take that, a risk, but that's, that's the that's a, risk. That, that's a challenge. That's, that's exactly right. So that's, if you don't know to take risks... Don't go to a startup. Well, Let's live your life. <laughs> work in, um, in a bank. Work for others. Don't be a founder. Don't try to be one that is going to develop market by your own if you don't know how to take the risks. 
No, correct. I, it, I mean, the, the the startup world is not somebody is not is not meant for people who are, especially the founders. You know, the creators. Are, if you're not ready to stomach it, all the ups and downs. Like you're saying, like oh, for you read earlier on, he sold his car. All right, to right. start. I mean, you, know, you hear that all the time through other people. I started in my garage. You know, we we rashed out. You know, I just just worked. Out, you know, for a little bit of money. Then I went on and then saved up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You hear all these stories. That's so. Correct. So, you know, great. So you made the pivot. You, the exchange was going well, right? And so you started to build interactive, right? So what were some of the ideas? And you created a really good company culture. Like you were saying also early on, you have management is 100% re- retention, which is great. And it's a testament to you and Ofer on, on finding the right people, cultivating the right, you know, atmosphere. So, you know, when you started hiring, how did you find the right people? And then on top of that is creating the company culture. It's a good question. So it's all start in, in the DNA. That's the way that you look at this. So what is the DNA of the company? How you define this DNA? So I think it starts really early at the beginning of the company that, you know, if you have the hunger to succeed and the hunger to uh, lead the market, and as I mentioned, that to take the risks and to have the right people with you. So you look for the first people that will be the ones that can help you to build this uh, tree. So look at this like a development that you start at the beginning, but the ones that are with you at the beginning, not necessarily will stay with you afterwards, but the DNA of the company will be defined by the first people that will be. And these are the ones that you need to invest most of the time to look for the right personalities. And what is the right personality? You need to look on people that are like you, that are not similar to you, but they care like you about the company. They don't mind to do other stuff and to work for other things for the company that are not necessarily their day job. So uh, you don't mind that the CFO will now write checks and at the same time will go to someone to pay him money. He will do whatever it needs. And if he needs now to talk with client, it's also fine. So you need people that they care a lot about the company, that they have the same fire in, uh, in the eyes, the same fire that you have when you approach the market. So you want these kind of people, these personalities to be like you. Once it will be, it will catch others. So it's really important to invest at the beginning to bring the right people to work for you. These are the ones that will recruit the other people. And at the end, they will look for the same kind of personalities. So once you develop it over time, that's the time that you develop more and more and more the DNA. And I can tell now that the company is 301 people, but you see the same culture and DNA across the board. And did you find it challenging, more challenging when you were going from 30 to 50 or from zero to 10? Or is it the same? I think it's different. It's different um, way. And, um, you know, there is a stage of the company when at the beginning you remember all the names of all the employees, um, <laughs> everyone are doing everything and it's kind of things that, uh, you know, it's it's exists and it happens and it's it's fine that it is like that, that. But over time, obviously, when the company moves from 100 to 200, you don't remember all the names of all the employees, it's tough. Um, but still, you create um, some common grounds of things that are can be developed globally. I'll give you an example. We have happy hour every week on Thursday. So it's not happening only in Tel Aviv office. It happens all over the globe. Mm-hmm. So you have happy hour all over the place. Or the process to recruitment is similar all over the globe. 
or when it comes to event. We have regional event. So each one is developing his own regional event globally. So you develop things that you, you do in low scale now in high scale. Um, you know, for example, if in the past they could do every month all ends uh, discussion with employees, so now I'm having it once in a, in a quarter to all employees, but I'm doing for the leadership every month, for example. So the idea is to find or to define other ways that will help you to make the same ideas that you had before when you were small to do it in big and to take things that are successful in each one of the different offices and to adopt them into others and to all the groups. So the idea is to combine the local with the global and to take the benefit that you have different personalities and different cultures and to take the good from all. So it comes also with DNA. It comes also for procedures. And once you use this um, in smart way, then you can really develop the company. I hear that. And so, you know, let's move on now. So you built the company up and, you know, so when did you start talking about your exit, right? So, oh, thank you very much. I mean, when did you re- come to the point where, okay, you know, company sniffing around us, this is a good move for our company and for the, for the employees in the company. You know, when did you realize that this is something that you want to pursue? You never know what, where is the right time for exit, right? It's not something that uh, we have um, like a watch that says, okay, now is the time for an exit, right? It's not, it's not defined uh, watch. And, and if you have this kind of watch, I'm sure that many people will be happy to get it and to buy it, but it's not really exist. So there is no real time to have an exit. I think the, um, when you push for exit, it will never come. <laughs> there is no plan to plan an exit. Okay. It comes only by opportunities. If you do the right things, and if you develop the company towards growth and success, and the company will be there, then offers will come. If you do the right thing and the company makes it enough um, uh, noise and value in the market, noise means for me value in the market, then someone will approach you because you, you bring the interest to others uh, to look at you. So it's the same here. So we got offers and, um, and we understood that we need now to decide what we do. Do we go with the direction of having um, to sell the company uh, or to raise more capital? And, and we had the option to raise 15 million back then. That was the highest number that we got ever to raise capital. We raised only 11.5 million all over the time. Like 10 years, we had like 11.5. And, and then we had an option to raise 15 million, but still we decided to sell the company. No, it's not because we wanted the money, because we understood that from market perspective, the right thing for the company was to sell the company. And between us, I can say now two and a half years after that it was the right thing to do. Look now on ETEC and the challenges in ETEC. And I can tell that for sure we couldn't get, even with the 15 million devaluation um, that we got when we sold the company. So if we needed now um, to go back in time, yes, it was the right thing to do. So it was the right timing because that was the right feeling that we had for the when you put the exit versus the raising capital. But not always you have this privilege to have these two options. Mm-hmm. There are times in life when you don't have these options. We had it. Okay, and so, you know, how did your employees take it, right? So, you know, and then we're going to go into, you know, 
how you're, you know, CEO now of the multinational company. But when, when you, when you and Ofer said, okay, and you spoke to the investors, said, you know, this is the right fit, it's the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, what did you say to your employees? Were they nervous? Were they excited to the next chapter? I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I think it's all about communication and uh, trust with the employees. Um, in, in the company, we had culture where all the employees um, got shares in the company. So I think that, you know, there are cases when you look in the pictures in the newspaper, uh, you see all the employees are smiling at the same day of exit. <laughs> but then you ask them, okay, so how much money you got in here? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure that we have that much, you know. Yeah. So I'm not saying that people here went uh, rich and everything, but I think that they had nice... Uh, money, a nice bonus for the uh, employment time. So they had the trust in the company and the decisions that we had. But the reason to convince them is not about the exits and about the money. It's about the opportunities. And we explained to them, guys, this is the right thing for the company. And we are now all together in the new chapter in, in the company. Even before I knew about being CEO of all the group, but by just understanding that this is the team, these are the group of people that we are going to work together now. And that's what happened in the first year. And we had, I think, two employees left in the first year, employees mm-hmm. of management, that left, which is close to nothing, which also okay. explained that people had the trust. If they look on the past and they see what you've done and what you worked and how this company behaved with the employees, and we try to have in the exit, exit model where the company is working still independently. So it's all about also the structure of the deal that I recommend always at the first deal, no matter which company if you, you buy or you, you, um, you, are, you are now the, um, uh, the company that's been acquired, at the first deal, try to be independent. Why? It helps everyone to understand the new culture, to adopt things easily, not in, in one day. And that's what we explained, that we have a deal where we have set of rules in the deal where the company is still independent. And yes, it worked really well, and that's why people had the trust. And so what are some of the challenges that you're facing now, you know, as a you know, CEO of, of a company in different, you know, countries, more people now, you have over 300 people, you know, what, you know, communication, right? So you were saying that you do, instead of once a month, now you do once a quarter, where you, you know, you have, you know, an open mm-hmm. session with them. Um, you know, also, you know, find the right people, also keeping the company culture, right? So those are all things that, you know, you have to, you know, amplify in a sense from what you did here to there. And you have right. to find, how are you doing that? Because it can't be easy. Well, it's never easy, but you know, if you want easy life, do something different. Don't go <laughs> work in a public company listed and um, that has uh, global offices. So look for something that is easy. But again, if you take the role, you need to understand the challenges. You need to mitigate the challenges. One of the things in working in a global company is to understand that there are different cultures and you need to respect the different cultures and to take the good from each one, as I said at the beginning. For example, if um, the Chinese, it's important for them in the new year, in January, in February, to have a party or to have free time, um, so you need to give it to them. Um, if, um, if for, the, for example, in the German culture, they look for more explanations when you have a decision, not only to get the bottom line of the decision, so give them the explanations um, and do it right. Also, when it comes to people, recruit 
where you have value. For example, uh, if the best sales for the company are in the U.S., don't centralize the decisions to Tel Aviv when it comes to sales. For example, I want to recruit CRO in Israel when we're 65% of the employees and the potential revenues are in the U.S. It doesn't make any sense. So respect where it's good for the company and develop the company by that. You know, I saw a company that I respect a lot that now decided to, to have a CRO from Israel managing the global. I'm sure that it's good for the management. I'm not sure it's good for the, 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 you know, the people that are based in the U.S. to know that the manager is based there. So I think that once you respect different cultures, you respect different um, um, kind of um, people and value that you can get from others, then it can work. And yes, we keep working on the communication and to improve it. And we do also a lot of external uh, um, culture, different explanations internally. And no, it's not 100% there. And yeah, I won't lie to you. It's not that I'm now super happy that we are doing it perfectly fine. No, mm-hmm. we are not. But we're still learning. I'm one and a half years in the company and I'm still learning what is the right and the best way to manage it. In order to win and to succeed in the market, first you need the right team around you. Once you have the right team around you, management, leadership, then things will work. And you need this trust in order to succeed. Otherwise, you know, it it just will be tougher than before. And each time in the company, you need to have different maybe kind of people to support and help you. And it's not always the same like you had before. You know, I have... um, a rule that, you know, there are periods of times in the company when you need people that will help you. Uh, if look at this like a mountain, you need someone to help you to get to the mountain and they can be behind you and to support you, to push you, push you. <laughs> let's go there. Let's yeah. go together. And you need these kind of personalities. And there are times in the company where you need someone that has been in this mountain. He got already to the top and he says, no, no, it's not right only to push. You need to go from this direction or that direction in order to, to get to the top. So you need people that are on the top and are taking you. It's a push and pull experience. You need people to pull you and not to push you in order to get to this top. So you need always to take into consideration these kind of things. But most important, Ellie, the most important thing that you need is the faith. Mm-hmm. The faith in the success the faith in you, the faith in the in the in the in the people in the company. If you don't have this faith, you will fail. You will fail because it will leave you alone in this situation. And I'm not. I don't feel alone. You know, many CEOs are telling me. You know, when you're at the top, you are alone. Uh, it's, it's your decisions to be alone. You know, we had last week mini alignment with all the management. After you know, every six months we have like one day that is strategy and, and we have, after six months, we go back, we saw what were the decisions, what are the new decisions mm-hmm. that we need to take. Um, it's, it's like to check ourselves if what we've done is the right thing to do. It's like a sensitivity check. And mm-hmm. we understood that we need to do some uh, more, uh, we need to uh, invest in more uh, areas, in different areas that we had before. But we looked at the situation together and we understood what are the things and the facts that need to bring us into these decisions. And once you work together as a team, as a group, then it's powerful. If you want, if you want to succeed, you need this team with you. Otherwise, you are, you are alone and you will feel alone. But it's your decision. And I have today in the company deputy CEO and COO 
that we worked together for five years. And yes, I'm consulting with him every day. And we have the CFO and obviously offer that I mentioned. And all the other management that we work as a team, as a group. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so, you know, we're going to wind down. We're already over 40 minutes. You know, I'd like to keep it somewhat short. So these are more the... You asked the question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> some, of the, some of the more... Um, what was the biggest mistake you made and how did you fix it? I had many mistakes. <laughs> the one, one that stands out. That, you know, that, you know, again, no one's... And this is something I just... The question, the purpose of it is really to show, you know, if you fail or you make a mistake, the worst thing you could just do is double down on it. Right. You got to, you know, take a, take stock. Okay, say, I screwed up, admit it, and then figure out a game plan to overcome it. Like, yeah, or today, to, it's very popular for CEOs to talk about failures and to learn from failures. It's, it's uh, not only in San Francisco. It's, yeah. I think that uh, as being a uh, Jew, I think we always, yeah. um, we find ourselves as people that need to say what is wrong, what is not correct, what is, is wrong, and... and, and always to challenge ourselves, which is, is a good thing, by the way, to, to be. And one of the things that I learned that, uh, at the beginning, as, as I won't go back that time, although I can say about the startup days, but <laughs> even in Fiverr, when I started, one of the decisions were to move local, like to have teams of people on the sales side that would be local. Mm-hmm. And I read after the decision of having people for China, not to manage the Chinese um, from Berlin, but to have people on the ground in China. And I've done it quickly. I asked, let's do it immediately. And it was a big mistake because uh, it takes time to develop the market, to have the right people first in China, and then only to move the responsibility towards it. And it's, I, I said it at, when I started, we need one year when it comes to uh, merging acquisitions. And here I think that I needed more time and not only to run, run maybe with the right decision, but business-wise, it was not the right decisions to do immediately. It was right to do, but maybe after a while and not immediately. So this is one of my mistakes. And I have more, but uh, <laughs> you want to okay. pitch one. Yeah. So what did you want to be when you were 15? Did you? Wow. It's a big question. <laughs> First, I, I'm now 43 and a half. Um, I want to do things that, um, you know, that that can really make an impact um, and create impact. So I'm not saying that today I'm not doing that. I am. Uh, I'm trying to find a way, as I mentioned, to be still in the army, uh, writing a book, and mm-hmm. uh, at the same time to be uh, a father and family and kids. So first I want to find the right balance. And I believe that over time I'm, I'm a, I have better understanding of how to balance the time. Um, I think that first that what we have now in Fiber, it's a mission that it's not accomplished yet and there is a lot to do and I want to make sure that it's run, it's strong, it's um, in the place that I, I and management feels that, that we can achieve. And yes, even with all the things that we have in Etec, I have always the feeling that you run against, um, against the wind or you, uh, you swim against the war and, and many of these yeah. kind of things and and but still I feel do we do the right things thanks to uh, uh, the right strategy and the people that we have that are experienced um, so this mission is not accomplished so it's hard for me to look on the age of 50 but yes I want to to create more impact um, and and to do things that are also for the community and not only to myself 
um, and for my employees, but do things that can help and, and do for many others. Um, and when it comes to high tech, I, I, I believe that I will be still involved. Um, and I have a few ideas how to combine real estate together with tech. And it's something that uh, <laughs> I have uh, maybe for the age of 50 to 60, but still early to think, as I said, as I'm really focusing on, um, on succeeding with fiber. And yes, it will be a success story. <laughs> oh, and did you have a mentor or someone to turn to for advice? Yes, of course, I, I do. Um, one of the things that I'm helping myself <laughs> to have mentors in life is first to look on my um, colleagues in the management as also mentors. I'm asking them what is wrong, what I can do better, mm-hmm. how I can improve myself. So it's not only to ask others from outside, but also start with your managers. And in our evaluation in the company, every six months, I'm asking also where I need to improve myself. First. Second, I'm using uh, the chairman uh, as my mentor. And I have Yair Safrai that was my chairman at Interactive and now is the chairman of Fiber. Um, and I see him not only as a friend, but as someone that I can consult, I can talk with, can really think, uh, think with him what, what to do and how to do. And also I'm part of a group that calls YPO, Young Professional Officers which are all CEOs, president, and um, chairmen of companies that we consult each month. And it's for me, it's a group of mentors uh, that I'm lucky to be uh, part of this group and, and to get these uh, advices um, to my life, but also for my work. Okay. And uh, just a few more. So just wrap it up. Is there a habit that you do daily that helps to keep you on top of your game? Again? A habit. Something that habit, you... yes. Um, I love to read, um, something that I like a lot, um, to do. And, um, I think that once you read, you learn. And I, um, I started to read really early. Uh, I like a lot, uh, management books. Uh, but I found now that, um, even on the religious side, without being religious, you can learn a lot about Jews in the last 3000 years. <laughs> And that's about the new book. So my habit now is to learn more about how to combine the 3,000 years of experience um, that we had together with um, the current management conflict. So I'm trying now to learn more about this, how to combine these two into one. Interesting. And, and productivity, what do you suggest for other founders to be more productive? I think it's just um, to have better perspective, not only to stick and to be only with what is your day-to-day, um, is to have the right mental, um, to read a lot, and to learn uh, from a group of people how to improve yourself and to do things in a different way. Uh, because if you stick only to what you do 100% of your time, uh, it won't give you the option to really understand and learn. That's why I have the Shabbat, where I'm using really a lot to have my time to think. And it's not because of being religious. You can be mm-hmm. just, you can just decide to have 24 hours in your week that you are not connected to anything. And it's really the time where I'm the most productive person in life because then I'm coming to the new week, open-minded, fresh, fresh with the power to think in a different way. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, this will be out for those who are listening. Make sure you rate us on uh, iTunes and Google Play, Spotify, etc. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Ali. Appreciate it. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.